if we read the same news as everybody else, we end up thinking the same as everyone else too. So if thinking differently is the key ingredient to different results, what's the best recipe to achieve it? Well, besides listening to subject matter, whether it's working under people who know how to do what you want to do or shifting your context completely, our naturally different source code combined with different programming will lead to different outputs altogether. If you want to grow, you need to mix it up. Follow in the footsteps of others or blaze your own trail. Do you seek the mentor or become your own, Ben? Let's find out, Tom. Welcome to Subject Matter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Subject Matter. This is episode 13. Can you believe it? Almost at the end of season one. And today we have a great topic for you. I am joined with my co-host, Tom Worcester. As always, Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Ben. And, you know, we've just completed the Super Bowl of yet another year. And while we often look at the Super Bowl as a opportunity to be on the gridiron and kind of put some heroics out there, It's also an opportunity for effective storytelling. We've seen some of the best brands and the best advertisements in the entire world come to their own head, their own show, to prove what they know about storytelling. So Ben, in the context of that, what is one example of effective storytelling that you have encountered this week? Great question, Tom. The one that stands out to me above all others has got to be Gillette's new campaign. And this completely tore public opinion in two. Gillette shifted their age-old slogan of a best a man can get to the now more relevant the best men can be. It invited men to question what they stood for. It played on the ideals of the hashtag MeToo movement and brought up questions around bullying and gay prejudice and these chauvinistic male ideals and invited men to actually say, we don't have to be like this. Instead, let's just be the best men can be. And this is all told through a very powerful story, powerful 90 second spot. I would encourage everyone to go and watch it. How about you, Tom? What's one example of a storytelling commercial that you've seen over this last week? Well, from the past weekend, and it's only fitting that we pull from the Super Bowl segments itself, uh, Microsoft actually had one of the more deterministic ads of the set. They uh, had an advertisement that showcased special game controllers for kids who needed them the most, uh, effectively delivering wins to children who rarely got any. So it it wasn't just uplifting, but it was an example of the great things that technology can help people accomplish. It's not just about the brand. It's not just about the product. It's about the new unlocked lifestyle that technology is able to offer other people. It's a reminder of the world you live in rather than the world of actors, athletes, and brands and influencers you might see on TV. So with Microsoft and Gillette, you've kind of like split and polarized public opinion. But both of these stories are radically different, but they both have a message to remember. It's often that difference that makes us so powerful in the first place. And that's the big idea we're discussing here today, listeners. The only way to produce extraordinarily different results is to think differently. And that's a fact. And that can either come from following in the footsteps of others and working with mentors who accelerate your growth or blazing your own trail, seeking new environments and eventually looking to become that mentor in your unique field yourself. Now, we're not expecting you to drop everything and search for a mentor or indeed stop searching for one under some false pretense of radical independence. As always, we're just inviting you to consider the other side. 
Perhaps you've been putting off that burning need to switch up your inner circle, or you're stagnating and not sure what your next move needs to be. Whatever the reason, Subject Matter is here to widen your lens and help you bring new perspective to the things that matter in your life. And that's where we're starting today, by acknowledging that different is better. It's not hard to think of all of us listening today as computers with slightly different source codes determined by our upbringing, our environment, and much, much more, of course. But without that difference, we'd all end up with the same ideas, fighting for the same aspirations, and that would simply be a sad, sad product of groupthink. But today, we have a relationship that, in my mind, is the opposite of this. It is one of the best examples, frankly, that I've ever come across in the power of thinking differently. In 1968, in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem's psychology department, there were two rising stars who had virtually nothing in common, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman. Before becoming a psychologist, Amos Tversky had been an Israeli military hero. He found much of life funny, he walked with a swagger, and was an optimist through and through. Because in his words, when you are a pessimist and the bad thing happens, you live it twice. Once when you worry about it, and the second time when it actually happens. Now, Tversky was meticulously organized, which was a direct reflection of his orderly brain that had spent previous work trying to characterize human behavior in mathematical models. No small task, hey? Now, Daniel Kahneman's source code could not have been more different to Tversky. Where Tversky's desk was pristinely clean, Kahneman's looked like a bomb had gone off. He was a warrior, which stemmed from the fact he was a fundamental pessimist claiming that by always expecting the worst, he could never be disappointed. Murphy's Law, anybody? The difference between these two is perhaps the best definition of personality clash I can think of. But what happened next would prove just how much of a winning formula this clash truly was. Kahneman ignited their friendship by completely slating Tversky's experiments, he thought that they were brilliant, but at the same time, didn't believe a word of them. It was the first time this had ever happened to Amos Tversky, and instantly, this grand optimist was sold on the persistent pessimist. From that moment on, the two men were inseparable. They started creating work together, writing and rewriting every sentence painstakingly, their personalities always bickering, always clashing, but producing brilliance. Because this relationship would eventually win Daniel Kahneman the Nobel Prize in economics. Amos Tversky sadly passed away in 1996, but even when he would receive awards with his name on it, he would get annoyed because everything came from his collaboration with Kahneman. Their work pioneered the field of behavioral economics and focused on two key themes very quickly, and those were judgment and decision-making. Together, Kahneman and Tversky proved that human beings are not as rational with their thought as was once believed. Instead, we are all highly irrational. And to go one step further, human errors were not just common, but totally predictable. The impact of these two gentlemen's work cannot be understated. And it could never have happened without two totally conflicting source codes working in harmony with each other. Kahneman always thought he was wrong, and Tversky always thought he was right. 
And it was this difference that made them so powerful. If that doesn't show the power of thinking differently, Tom, then I don't know what will. That difference boils down to one thing and one thing alone, Ben, and that's different context. It's nature versus nurture. We're born a certain way with a set of fixed natural characteristics. All that's left to change after that is our nurture. How do we grow up? How do we react to the world around us? To reap value from the world at large, we are forced to go outside of what we currently know to gain new perspective from far-reaching influences. Now, you've used the analogy of people's computers having different source code. That's fitting. But once a computer is up and running, the real magic happens when it's programmed. What operating system does it run on? For the most part, we can't control our source code, but we can definitely control how we're programmed. One take on how to do this is Charlie Munger's mental model, The Big Ideas from Big Disciplines. Now, most of the time, you're way better off to take on a really big, important idea that comes up all the time than some tiny little idea you may not face. Think the environmentalism of the world versus whether worms are having a hard time climbing through the ground. Now, to understand how the world really works, we need to understand the big ideas. Most problems we struggle with can be solved by reaching into another discipline. The idea, then, is just over the fence. But if you're trained to stay within the fence, you simply won't find it. Now, in 2011, there was a study commissioned by MIT, which basically took all of the different points of academic writing and linked them together by one tangency. So you would have a relationship between the humanities and cultural writing, but you wouldn't have a relationship between the humanities and astrophysics. So this group took all the academic knowledge you could find in all of academia and put the whole thing into a giant circle. Literally, it's a giant circle of related fields. It's thousands of little points that compose each little point along the circle, each of which represents one academic discipline. When you take a step back, it's a beautiful academic circle of how ideas relate to one another. But because it's a circle, it's hard to reach over the fence. Humanities doesn't have an impact on astrophysics. So what happens? Long story short, there's a problem. To cross the fence, we need to innovate. It's when we're able to draw that line between biology and astrophysics in which we're able to come up with a zero-G operating room that can keep astronauts alive for longer. And so when we have moments like these where we're able to draw that line, go cross-discipline, and come up with new big ideas because of the way we associate new ideas, we're able to actually move forward. So we need these big ideas from history repeating itself. We need behavioral economics, so we're not in control of our brains as we think, but we are in control of that development. And we need first principles thinking, fundamental rules that can't be broken, and the idea that we break ideas down to their most core form to build forward. And there's much more. But we can't control our source code, but we can understand how the world is programmed, and we can develop along those lines ourselves. Once we've been able to paint the biggest picture possible, we can begin to draw these lines and these inferences between places you never thought were possible. Again, back to astrophysics and biology. The result of wide association, a big picture, and being able to cross these threads is innovation and the creation of lots of new big ideas. Okay, big ideas are great for initial context, Tom, but they go a mile wide and an inch deep. 
And after all, if you know the same as everyone else, remember, you think the same. The question then becomes, what's the wide and deep topic we really want to focus on? And today, there's so many that it seems that the first challenge is actually just deciding which one to tackle. However, we don't need to do this alone. All we need is deep, accurate information from people who failed and succeeded in a very narrow subset. In short, to translate, we need a mentor. A mentor is defined quite simply as an experienced and trusted advisor. And the key word in that phrase is trust. You don't just weigh up your mentor's advice. You follow their instructions. You don't just reflect on their knowledge. You act on their information. The point is that they've made the mistakes you can quite easily avoid, all by simply listening to their words of wisdom. But this goes deeper than just avoiding mistakes. Because mentors, especially when we're younger, have a profound ability to incept powerful ideas into our minds. And the ones that stick, they could radically change our behavior forever. One of the best known people to have been influenced on such a fundamental level by a mentor was the billionaire maverick Richard Branson, who I'm sure you all know. But you probably don't know about Branson's mentor. And no, it's not some flashy billionaire or someone from privilege. It's actually his uncle Jim. Now, it wouldn't be a stretch to describe Uncle Jim as completely crazy. He had a habit of eating grass, which led to him getting widely mocked in the army. But that was until that same habit actually earned him a role advising the elite forces on how to live off grass and nuts when food was scarce. It's funny how things work out, hey? And that principle was behind the lesson that Uncle Jim taught his nephew Richard at a very early age. When everyone else thinks your idea is crazy, that may be a sign you're really onto something. And his track record of daring ventures today speaks for itself. Richard Branson isn't afraid to have people think he's going in the wrong direction. And in fact, he channels that craziness to find untapped opportunities. Branson acknowledged that not everything he tried has worked. And countless times where everyone urged him to go one way, he simply went the opposite direction. But in his words, Uncle Jim's example was simply that it was sometimes okay to take the path less traveled. With the guidance of his mentor, Branson was able to step into a lifetime of thinking differently. By seeing someone so close to him live life differently, Branson wasn't just inspired for a fleeting second, his very source code was changed. And that, listeners, is why mentors matter. If you look up to someone and see them living their life in the way that you'd like to, simply understanding how they think can impact the very trajectory of your life for good. This potential for ideas to have such a huge impact works best when you're young. Your mind is fresh and you're open to heavy influence. That's why learning a different language at five years old is so much easier than when you're 25. But adults do have an even bigger advantage on top of that, the ability to anticipate outcomes. Now, we've gotten a little bit bogged down in examples of specific people. And I want to take a step back, zoom out, and look at how that mindset can impact an entire country. Under the shogunate in the 17th century, 
Japan was notably insular. It had no interest in the going-ons of foreigners, often blocking off the flow of new ideas into the country. But with a new government came a new way of thinking. Between 1853 and 1867, Japan ended its isolationist foreign policy in transition from a shogunate into the pre-modern empire of the Meiji government. Japan sent ships out to all far reaches of the world with the aim of understanding the bigger game it was playing now and harness some of their new technology. They anticipated the outcome of discovering new and the gamble paid off. Unlike a mentor where you will know what you'll learn, Japan had the opposite scenario. They had no idea what they'd find, but they were guided by the inkling that they knew that there was so much yet to learn. Today, that new mindset has meant that their technology isn't just better by a little bit, it's better by an order of magnitude. Their bullet trains are some of the fastest in the world. Toyota pioneering lean manufacturing principles has changed the way that we build products as we know it. Just take a look at the Japanese work ethic. They're one of the hardest working nations in the world. The Japanese didn't know what they didn't know, and that's what made them so damn capable. By shipping their mindset to anticipate new opportunities, it was able to shift them from a backwards feudal society and instead to a westernized powerhouse. They used their world as a canvas of discovery so that they could effectively implement the things that lead them to true ignited growth. Just like it's easier to spot a red car when you're thinking about red cars, it's easier to spot opportunity when you're thinking of opportunity. So if we need to anticipate outcomes, like Tom says, we should know upfront what the outcome of working with our models and mentors should be. Let's clear something up though. Mentorship is not a one-way relationship. Young people can and should provide immense value to their older mentors. We young people have tech savviness in abundance, a youthful perspective with a disregard for how things have always been done and a tangency to new trends. And that's something that an older mentor simply may not possess. That makes things interesting. It makes them a two-way relationship. After all, who's really going to be your mentor without getting anything in return? Would you mentor someone without anything in return? Now, that's not to say go and sprint out of that door the second you finish listening to this episode of Subject Matter and find yourself a mentor. If you rush in just looking for a mentor of any kind, you're bound to be disappointed. That's why it's critical that before you make any kind of radical move, you have a concrete idea of what you stand for. That means understanding two key areas. To borrow from the computer analogy again, it's understanding your source code combined with understanding your programming. What kind of person you exactly are in this moment and who you want to become. First up is knowing what makes you, you. Ask yourself, what are my beliefs? Even better, what do I hold to be true that most people disagree with? Remember Uncle Jim's advice. When everyone else thinks your idea is crazy, that may be a sign you're really onto something. Once you know that, find out what you love to do. And not just skills or hobbies you're passionate about, but what actually sets you on fire. I've known from day one what sets Ben on fire, and it's the ability to give a voice to untold stories of ambitious entrepreneurs. 
It comes through in the way he speaks, the way he writes, and the way he carried himself at a first ever lunch. It was something I simply couldn't miss about him. And it's the exact same for Tom, who has an obsession for building new products that don't just make small steps forward, but a 10x leap forward and drive new innovation. You see, the thing that puts you on fire are the things you wouldn't just do for free, but that you'd actually pay to do because you love them so much. I would pay to write if I had to, and I know Tom would pay to build products. Those beliefs and activities that you have become your character's compass. And that is your source code listener. Then everything you do should move towards manifesting those goals. But let's clear something up again. Clarity without action is useless. And that's where our second step comes in. Using your core beliefs and the things that set you on fire, you can then understand the difference between what you need to survive and what you want to flourish. That margin, that is the definition of your ambition. And figuring out what it is you're going to set your mind to over the next 12 months or even more is the final piece you need to start your next chapter. From here, opportunity begins. You know what you want so you can reach out to that mentor. You can reach out and grab anything you want. You can act with pure intentionality. And this comes back to a fundamental truth about any great life strategy. In our quest to understand more of what matters in the world, we must first start with understanding ourselves. Ben, there are so few people out there that have the elevated understanding of themselves that today, that personal knowledge really can be the ultimate competitive advantage. And being different goes much further than just being a necessity. You must actively seek it just like the country of Japan did. And this story actually comes back to me. It took me a while to figure out the mentor I needed. And when I figured it out, I had to sacrifice everything in order to get into that room. This mentor was a self-identified way I could finally level up and become everything I certainly felt I wasn't yet. Now, my mentor's name was Dhruva Virchendra. Finally enough, he's now on the board of advisors of my company, Lunchbox. Interesting how that works out, isn't it, Ben? Now, when I knew I needed to learn more early in 2017, I needed to get better. I was missing so much about my skill set. I saw gaps left and right, and I wasn't even close to being the entrepreneur I wanted to be yet. Quite frankly, I felt incapable. And so when I needed to learn more, and I was at that point of frustration, I made the choice. I made the choice to give him a call. I got on that call and I said, Druva, I'll work for free. He said, what? I said, no, 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 seriously, I will work for free. The room that you have cultivated, the thought processes that you subscribe to, and the world that you live in, are, that's a world I want to actively be a part of. So he said, let me give you a call back. A little while later, he gives me another call and says, all right, I've got a couple things for you to do. The first thing I had to say was, I'll work for free. The second thing I had to do was back that up. Now, before even jumping into this, I did a deep dive into my network and read into available press on the guy to understand how he thought in the first place. I read his articles. I read his, his co-founder's lab work. I read his existing body of content so I knew what I was dealing with. And once I had identified that this is somebody I could admire, somebody I could see myself becoming, that's when I made the choice to do whatever I could do to start getting closer. That meant nights and weekends. That meant moving from New York to DC to physically get closer. 
That was going above and beyond, putting together decks, proposals, whatever I could do to make myself distinguish. It also made me realize the nine to five is for zombies. You can't achieve in 40 hours a week what you want to achieve in a lifetime. So we took business trips. It took weekends. It took everything I had to get closer to the guy. And quite frankly, it paid off because I didn't just find someone I admired and wanted to model myself after. I was finding someone who I wanted to later become. But in order to transition the step now of who I was against the person I wanted to become, it required full and maximal effort on my end. So I knew what I wanted and I went and found it. I took it. I knew the thinker I wanted to become and I became it. I knew what I wanted to grow into because I had seen so many big ideas in the world and chose the one that mattered most to me. In this case, first principles thinking. It was the move that I needed to make to grow into the person I am today. And the story that Tom has just talked us through feeds into the basic principles and programming of subject matter. We can only be the best version of ourselves if we're willing to change everything. And that might mean the ideas in your head, but it also might be right down to the people you give your time to. And before you search for mentors or meaning, take the time to understand who you are today first. That knowledge of your character, what you tangibly want, and what absolutely sets you on fire is invaluable. In today's noisy world, This serves as your roadmap to always stay moving in the right direction. But as always, where you choose to draw the line, listener, is up to you. (laughs) Or Ben, perhaps given today's analogy, how you choose to develop your source code is up to you. Yes, or how you choose to develop your source code, Tom. I'll give you that. So thank you all for listening to episode 13 of Subject Matter. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, we'd love if you could subscribe over on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. A rating would mean a lot. And tell us what you think of the episode. We'd love to hear from you on Instagram. Tom is at RealTommyBahama. You can ask him why he's got that handle. I am at Ben Bradbury. And we would love to hear from you. Please do reach out and shoot us a DM on your thoughts. So thank you very much for listening. And we will see you next week for the penultimate episode of season one of Subject Matter.